Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And tonight, we're doing a special episode, a Patreon-requested episode by uh, Anthony? Anthony, yes. Anthony, yeah, Anthony. Anthony Ashley. Uh, Tonight, we'll be covering some of our favorite tropes and cliches that we see in horror movies. And yeah, let's dive in. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. So what's the first trope that we wanted to talk about of our favorites? There's tons of tropes. We should start so with many. yours. The one Can that we you start with mine. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll go. We'll go in circular order. Yes, this will work. So also, wait, trope, wait, wait, wait. I gotta ask one thing. How are you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. I started playing No No Cooney, which is a, uh, a, a the Studio what? Ghibli JRPG. Oh. I usually don't like JRPGs all that much, but I, I was like, Studio Ghibli, I'll try for you. Wait, what is what is it? What did you say it was? It's called No No Cooney. No No JRPG. JRPG Japanese RPG. Oh yep. really? That's all it stands for? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. it. It's like <laughs> Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest. Yep. Is this like a dating app? No, it's not. <laughs> No, I mean, sorry, not a dating app, but a dating sim. No, it's not a dating sim. <laughs> it's a JRPG, John. Have you I ever know. played one? That's the point I'm making. You guys anyway, <laughs> so that's how I've been doing. Regardless, the trope that I picked for tonight was the masked killer or the like obscured killer. There's a lot of different things you could call this one, but usually this trope that I see in some horror movies is usually the villain, the killer, whoever it is, is not fully shown in the movie. It's usually like a first-person perspective or a silhouette. Do, or they does are like the unseen monster fall into this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. the same thing. That's so unseen fine. character in general. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Exactly. We're, but, we're, but like the enemy. Yeah, whatever yeah. the whatever the whatever the killer is in Got the movie it. is the not antagonist. fully revealed. Um, and so that's that's essentially the trope that I picked because I think that it's a very effective tool used a lot and a lot of the times that it is used used in movies it's usually a very good movie most of the time yeah where you don't get to fully see what's going on yeah exactly so like one of the uh one of the examples i used was jaws jaws is a really big one so so the shark in jaws is for a majority of the movie it's submerged underwater you don't really see it like even like the opening scene is like a first person shot and there's a lot of first person shots in that movie as well underwater at people's legs, things like that. And this really ups the suspense for those areas. I think my favorite uh, example in the movies that we discuss is like the first person killer and you see them in like the little hole in a bush, just like their point of view, staring at the main character, talking to mom about, oh, I'm going to soccer practice in like 30 minutes. <laughs> and you just hear the, Oh, the- <laughs> yeah. I feel like Black Christmas sort of did this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Black Christmas is easy- is probably one of my favorite ones yeah. that uses this because they don't only use a first-person perspective or silhouettes. They also use things like the attic opening and closing. Yeah, there's like so a you- signal. Yeah, exactly. And I think we, we discussed this last time where it was used yeah. to sort of show opening and like fall, like, like uh, what is it, rising and falling action. Yeah. It was usually used to like, uh, used as like a, what is it, like a cue for those. Yeah, it was like a narrative cue. What were you going to say? Um, Also, it's like the entirety of Friday the 13th, the original. <laughs> oh, yeah. All, the entire movie is shot in like point of view. Like watching them. And like, that's the cool thing because you get like really personalized kills. Like you're see it's like you ever see that movie Hardcore Henry? Yeah, that shit's wild. Yeah. 
it's like a mind trip, you know, being able to take on the perspective of the killer. Right. I feel like a lot of movies are usually from the perspective of the protagonist. And so, you know, it's kind of a, a trip, you know, it's like, oh, this is what it feels like to be in this position, you know? A lot of the original horror films, like early 50s, 60s, was always from the victim's point of view. So yeah. they were like, you were with them in that fear of what, not knowing where the killer was. And then it didn't get changed and to the other perspective until the 80s when you had the slasher films come out. Right. The Italian slashers did it first. Yes, that was that's the true. They came out. I What was the movie that we had talked about? There was like one specific movie. We talked about uh, Suspiria. Yeah. That director made like two other films that did this. But that's the thing. He was the one that like sort of started the whole movement. And then you have a lot of like. Talk about Dario imi- Argento. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have a ton of imitators, which then and the imitation of an imitation then gets regurgitated into America and then popularized. Then you get spaghetti And marketed <laughs> and sold. Spaghetti. Before you know it, no. I fucking hate horror merch in some aspects. Like, you're talking about, like, the ones that, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It just, it looks cheap. Like, it's just, like, a picture of Jason drawn, and it says, it says Saturday the 14th, and he's sad. It's like, oh, shut the yeah, fuck up. I don't up. like that set either. I just think it's kind of interesting about like the whole perspective, how we're talking about going from the perspective purely of the victim right? and then going to the perspective of also being the killer, like how that kind of shifts the way you perceive the movie. Because I feel like movies back in the day were very one sided and it was always very clear, like who the enemy was and who the hero was. Would you say that it was cliche? Oh, definitely. (laughs) It's like happy ending, you know, good triumphs over evil, blah, blah, blah. And I wonder what made the movie shift? What allowed this perspective now to come into the consciousness? I would guess that the early 50s and 60s movies, the reason why they had it from the victim's perspective is because society on the whole felt like they were being victimized by a lot of things. So they translated it into like out of, like environmental things that were affecting them, mm-hmm. in which case it wasn't always just one person it was like multiple killers it was disease or some other thing and then in the 80s when things got like i don't know more fun like the 80s is literally about everybody just having a good time yeah. all the time they i think wanted that was you to also yeah people. a big aspect about it was sort of uh divulging in sin i guess you could right, say there yeah. was a lot of partying and drugs and drinking during that time which back in the olden times weren't really considered normal and they were starting to become normalized and i feel like maybe we're trying to break away from that consciousness by taking on this perspective of somebody who is considered to be evil you know right in addition to the fact they wanted you to cheer for the killers yeah like you now people watch horror films because they want to see like unique and cool kills in movies yeah because they know it's fake so it's like i want to see what kind of things they come up with i want to see this guy get fucked up yeah (laughs) you know like they started watching 80 slasher films for that reason like you won't find a lot of people that hate jason or freddy yeah they they like their characters a lot i think i think psycho uses uses this um this type of shot as well like a first person perspective oh yeah and it's used in that really iconic shower scene yeah oh yeah as well where you don't see the killer at all but it doesn't the thing is that you don't still don't see it so it it even ups the fear because you don't know who this person is so it makes it more like later on in the movie like you're trying to you know figure out who could it possibly be that's doing this have we already met them already is it someone they know etc what an iconic scene and there's a lot of like backstory like behind the scenes stuff for that so apparently the first time that they ever shot that scene 
Hitchcock was sitting in his chair and he saw him do it and he was like, what the fuck was that? And goes up to him, grabs the knife out of his hand and starts like imitating stabbing the girl. And he got so close to her that she was like terrified in the tub and like was pretty much like in shock when they shot it the next time, which was the shot that he kept, which is why Ooh. she looked so fucking scared. Because, Authentic. Yeah, he actually like got really close to stabbing her and then gave it to the guy and the guy did it again and she's like already scared. So they did that and so... It also has the iconic scene where uh, it spins as it moves out from her face. Oh, right. yeah. That's the first time you ever see something like that on film. That uh, that stabbing noise is stabbing a watermelon, too. Yeah. <laughs> a wet, water, a, a wet watermelon, yeah, specifically. Right? As if we didn't know watermelons were wet. Uh, they're, like, made of water or something like that. They wow. actually had, like, real Foley artists, too. <laughs> I know it's still a thing they do nowadays, but a lot of things have been pre-recorded, so they just have, like, a library of most of these things but at that time they made everything like in studio my but I digress from the foley art <laughs> my favorite point of view killer shot is from the original evil dead where sam raimi literally put his uh camera on the floor and like two inches from the ground and would run vast amounts of distances with it so it looks like it's on the floor like yeah. It's supposed to be the, the demonic it's like spirit. <laughs> it's like supposed to be the demonic spirit. And then it eventually crashes through glass, oh, goes yeah. through actual rooms until you actually see it. I mean, the best part about it is when it's knocking down full doors. I mean, you see like uh, Ashley Williams played by Bruce Campbell fucking looking at the camera, screaming his ass off and closing doors on it and just... The whole Bashing thing is through. broken yep. like in a second. And then when it finally reaches Ash, he gets pushed into like the ether, basically. And it's such an effective shot. Do you know how they shot that? Yeah, they used it with a bunch of camera techniques to keep it low. They had like pulleys to make it crash through the thing. They That's had sugar cool. glass. They uh, The fucking door one was super complicated because they had to like manually break the door but keep it somewhat looking fine. So when they finally kicked it down, it just fucking ruptured into nothing. Oh, gotcha. All Love right. It. Well, shit. Goddamn. It's a good one. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones that you guys haven't mentioned as far as, like, the perspectives go. Well, let's see. But you have – you have a, it happens in Duke also. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. get to see much of him. You do get, like, a quick glimpse, but there's no way you would get details they, on his face. Yeah, they use, they use like, like ob- obstruction and whatnot. Oh, man, to, like, you know what I thought of? Um, when we get to see the person coming up from the stairs in Parasite, mm-hmm. do you remember the eyes? Like, the head, like, top of the head and eyes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the, like the person that's it's watching so them. It's so quick. Like, you get, like a, like, a two, three-second view, and then that's it. You don't ever see that thing again. And then Insidious almost did it well. The beginning <laughs> of it was great because you got glimpses of him, but then they went just completely different direction at the end when you get to see him, which was kind of dumb. It would have been way better if you like didn't see him. Yeah, it was a little bit of a letdown. But, but this is well, this is like a, also like what's the movie Paranormal Activity? Oh where yeah, they had such a really good scene where they like laid down salt on the stairs and like the hallway and stuff. And then you got to see like the hoof prints go through that, which is such good use of like your props to mm-hmm. let everyone fill in what the fuck is walking there. In which case is like what has hoofs usually? It's like some sort Something of devil demonic. or the devil himself yeah, right. <laughs> walking in your house, and then it drags you out of the fucking bed and into the hallway. So it's like that kind of shit works really well. 
when you want to put into a horror home because you're letting people scare themselves. Yeah, it's it's suggestive, you know. It's right. not totally in your face. And I feel like what's suggestive is always a little more provocative, you could say. Because, you know, it could be anything. You don't have a clear picture. So whatever the demon is looks different to everybody else. And it's just as terrifying, if not more. Right. This uh, this trope really taps into, like, the fear of the unknown. Yeah, totally. Sort of, which we've discussed a lot about in a lot of movies that we've watched already. But this particular trope really plays on that type of fear, like, very, like, heavily. I think one of the funny ones is when the dude will leave the room. Like, the main character or side character will leave the room and he's, you know, he's about to get laid. And then you'll see the first-person perspective of the killer. She'd be like, oh, are you ready, baby? You ready to go for it? And just, like, stab through Actually the, the back. Killer. Actually the killer. That sounds like some Jason shit. He'd yeah. come in and, like, bend the bed in half and, like... You remember that? Like, it's like one of the newer ones. The dude's in the bed and he like, oh, yeah, smashes the bed into like into a sandwich and the dude gets fucking folded. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing that when I was younger. And yeah. that's the only thing I remember from that movie. OK, I got to say one of the funniest scenes from Jason is like one of the newest ones. I think it is the newest one that they came out with where this dude is running away from Jason outside and Jason grabs a nearby axe on like a stump and does like an overhead throw that goes like 50 feet and hits him. <laughs> and you're just like, what? what the fuck? And then he grabs the dude, puts him in a fucking sleeping bag because he's still alive and then puts him over a fire and just roasts him. And you're like, holy shit. Bruh. <laughs> like, what the But, like, everyone in the theater was laughing. I'm like, this is, we should not be laughing. We're all terrible. Hilarious. I, I think in the first Halloween movie is shot through the mask that the kid yeah. is wearing before he, he kills his like... sister. So you have that sort of, like, that's another, like, like example of this trope being used as well. Yeah, it's because you don't even know that he's, like, seven years old at the time either. Yeah, for real. You think that the killer is actually full just, grown. like, a full-grown man. And it's funny because she's watching Evil Dead too. Or no, no, no. She's watching uh, The Thing, the original th The Thing on the TV. That's right. Yeah. And so like you just – it's really funny because like John Carpenter does some point of view shots. And they're they're really effective because John Carpenter's good. Fucking dope. Yeah, he's a good guy. We're going to talk about more of his movies at some point. <laughs> Always. As if we haven't covered all of them already. <laughs> Well, this is a good time to switch into the next thing that we wanted to talk about. I think, Mur, you were next, right? Yeah. So my trope is you're in a horror movie, you're trying to get away from the killer, and you can't start your fucking car, you can't open the door, you can't put the right key in the right fucking slot. Right. Maybe you fumble and drop your key. Maybe the car starts away. and then it fucking stops. I think it creates tension. Right. But if used poorly, could really hate. You could so really hate. So you're talking it. about when people write things, they use. So, like, the creation of suspense through, like, narration pieces, which include things just not going well for the main person, mm. so that you get nervous while you're watching them. Yeah, that's, start a, getting that's like, a That's please a thing. Please do this. You're, you're. What I wrote down on the notes was that you are cheering for this person to get the fuck out. And then when they're like, they have the key not going into the slot, you're just fucking pissed. And you're then like, they drop the keys. Then they drop the keys. Then you're, this is what you're thinking. You're thinking, I could fucking do this. Right. 
I could fucking. But you totally couldn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that, you were in that, that situation. That reminded me of the moment in, uh, what was the one we just watched? Don't Breathe. Yeah. Where they were trying to escape the cellar and he had the string of Son keys. Of That's probably like the thing that gives me the most anxiety when they have the keys, but they don't know which one it is. Like and they got to go keys. through all the keys and there's somebody coming. It's a real fear factor moment. You know, oh, when you remember watching God. Fear Factor and they're oh, always underwater with all the keys. Shit. I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, Poltergeist did it near the end. And like, we always say like, we could do this in the situation. And then you don't realize that you have fucking undead native Americans chasing you out of your house. Look, all I know is that I would not run upstairs if I was in a horror film. Oh, same. Never. I just know that that's one thing for sure. I would not do. Cause just saying, if you got to jump out a window, it's a lot better to be on the first floor. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Um, so another prime example was, uh, in evil dead once again when they're trying to escape and he actually gets the car started and they start driving and then they get to the bridge yeah and and the bridge is completely gone messed up so that's the thing like silent hill in the game and in the movies does this as well so when she first enters what's like there's like no escape (laughs) what is what is the town called is it amityville or Asheville, something like that i don't remember but she gets to she gets like on the road towards the area right and then her car just miraculously stops and there's fog in the back and there's fog in the front and only one way to really go on this path yep it makes you feel hopeless but at the same time we're usually talking about escapes yeah yeah a lot of times cars will represent freedom in a storyline or in any sort of situation, really. And so, you know, if your car stops working, that's sort of like a big sign of, oh, shit, you don't have a whole lot of options waiting for you. And I feel like a lot of times when you're trying to escape a situation, if you can get to a car, you're in good shape. You know, that's your ticket out of there. This is where I would like to add my favorite part about this trope. What? When they get the car started after the fifth, 17th time. And the fucking killer's arm crashes yeah! through the fucking glass. Yeah. And then it like actually gets them. You're like, oh, they got it. Holy fucking shit. And They'll it, usually give you a brief moment to breathe and then scare the shit out of you by having that come through the window. It makes me hyped. I mean, they used to do these in zombie movies too. Yep. Where like the zombie will eventually try to break the glass and will actually get through. I just, I think it's fun. Um, the key fumbling, though, that's it's a lot more prevalent in more modern films. The other things I think of is like someone running away and falling, yes. tripping over each other, or like getting in each other's way, like when they're trying to get out somewhere because they're they suddenly became selfish and they're like, I just got to be faster than you. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the thing. Push someone behind them. That, what's the quote? I don't have to be faster than you. I have to be faster than the bear. No. Oh, wait, no, I, I don't have to be faster than the bear. I have to be faster than you. <laughs> yeah. Trip. Which happens a lot in horror films. They're like, fuck you. You're about to die. I'm going to live. And then that person ends up getting killed <laughs> is usually how that goes. They, like, find them later, like, dead somewhere or they're, like, dying. And they're like, sorry, you fucking left me back there. You know what's not horror but does this pretty effectively is Rambo First Blood. Oh, my God. Because, mm-hmm. like, they go into the woods and he has all these traps set up. And they just want to leave, dude. They're like, I want to get the fuck yeah. out of here. We're cops. We're on payroll. This sucks. <laughs> For real. He's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Rambo is literally, the only thing that Rambo is, is him killing people with a straight face. That's the whole movie. Yeah. He's like, he's like gutting someone with a straight face. 
So an interesting thing about this trope is it came out of the the first movie it was used in was Double Indemnity, which was a 1944 yeah. like psychological thriller movie. And it's, apparently what happened was it was an accident or it was an idea by the director when he tried to leave like the studio they were working on. His car wouldn't start. Uh. And then he thought that it would be a great idea to put like a car not able to start in a movie about two thieves trying to get out of like with their stolen stuff. Right. And yes. when they leave, their car won't start. And so it's like creates like a whole bunch of tension. So that was where it came from originally. Nice. So, yeah. And then it got adopted into horror films. So mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for suspense, that. easy. And action films, it's it's put in so many different types of films just to it's add true. that suspense. It extends to all the genres for just, I think it ended up just being like a film narrative device that you learn how to how to use effectively and And it's so relatable too. Yeah. I mean, it's awful being in situations where your car won't start. I remember going up to the mountains with my friends to go sled when we do actually get a little snowfall here. And uh, on our way back, at some point, the car, like, stopped working. And mind you, we had been in the snow all day. We were wet, we were cold, and we wanted to go home. And here we are. It's about sunset, and we're in this windy mountain road, and our car's broken down. And luckily, this this nice family came along and helped us out. But, uh, shit, that was Anxiety City. Uh, what was the... Uh... What's the movie where the guy steals the car but it won't let him use it because the the like the operator like stops the car from operating because the car is reported as stolen? Oh, we just saw it. it was Ready or Not. Yeah, Ready or Not. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Ready or Not does that. She calls the OnStar service yeah. to like get help. It's it's like a weird like it's like a weird version of the car won't start trope, yeah. but like they totally like fucked with you with that one instead. Uh-huh. Yeah, because you you literally thought she was gonna make it out. Yeah, then she decided to call fucking jason or whatever a, his name was that's such a great dark comedy moment of just like sorry like you're gonna have to calm down and like, <laughs> like cuts her off and is just like yep there goes the car somebody will be there soon yeah. but, but i mean what a great way to build that suspense with a trope that's used and then doing that trope just a little more colorfully yeah it definitely has evolved into something more now here's the f- a very interesting one when they get into a vehicle that they are not familiar with, oh, whether it be like a crane or a fucking spaceship or a fucking boat, keys are always in the uh, ignition. Yeah, always in the no. What's the what's the the visor? Yeah, and they drop uh, it down and the keys drop. Nobody does that, but like that that was like a thing. Uh, oh, it was a thing in like the seventies, I guess. Like people used to just leave their shit in their car, but like this is like Canadians not locking their door. You're just like I don't know. I don't might know about be a thing, that. might not be a thing. Not anyway. in this culture anymore. Right. Canadians, let us know. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you thing. have any Canadian fans, let us know if you actually leave your door unlocked. Yeah, yeah leave a comment down below. <laughs> but that's what that reminded me of, where it's like that shit always happens. They're like, oh, did you check the visor? And they do, they like bring it down and like, yeah. And they like catch the keys. That also makes me think about people leaving their keys under their mats, like to the house. Yes. Or it's like over the, the door frame or something like this. that. Yeah. That was, it was a great moment where he's, she's like, wait, the spare key. And he's like, what? Some white people shit. <laughs> I know. I was like, I, there's never been a skip, a spare key at my house. <laughs> yeah. None of my family has spare keys. The spare key was on my keychain. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's in my wallet. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's fucking funny. Uh, yeah, I have I have not not much to say about that though. What there? So this ends up being this was added in as a narrative device because they needed to up the scare factor for people. 
So people became less and less desensitized, obviously, as film went on because they've, they're more accustomed to seeing the sort of violence or things that might happen. So they're like, what can make the anxiety and the fear go up for most people? And it's relatable things like that, where it's like your protagonist is not perfect. They're going to fall. They're going to trip. They're going to, like, choose the wrong door, run up the stairs, like, make weird choices. You're right. screaming at them. Yeah. And I feel like putting this in really helps the viewer embody what the character is experiencing. Right. Because there's definitely, you know, if you're, like, rushing to get out the door and you start forgetting things and you're trying to get everything and you're fumbling all over the place, which you normally probably wouldn't do if you were not late or yeah. rushing you you get that sense and it's the same kind of sense if you're in a situation where you got to get out you have that heightened anxiety you're messing up you're stumbling and it really puts you into that perspective i do like when they use this trope to the protagonist's advantage so say like somebody is fumbling with the keys and they drop it and then they lean down to get it and then like a fucking bullet or something goes through yeah. the door or something or like somebody's car dies and then like it dies like right before the intersection and then you just see some car some, barrel like, by divine intervention yeah, they do this a lot to to like make you like they lull you into thinking like oh they're all right and then they do the double scare where like they're fine and then something else scares them so like there's there's multiple versions of this that goes on and shit i dropped the keys full fucking spear through the fucking yeah, roof yeah, you <laughs> know the like they've done shit like that and so that i like i like seeing the multiple versions that people have come up with because it shows how they became creative with storytelling and in this case people find a lot of this stuff relatable which most horror films the people in them are usually flawed people so everyone usually finds them relatable and this is something that most people can identify with whenever they're watching this mm-hmm. so it's like this kind of ups the appeal of what people are watching and then people watch these films kind of for these things. They want to see how well, like, the person's going to do. Are they going to actually, like, survive this ordeal? Or are they going to just be one of the kills and, you know, you choose kind of, like, who you're rooting for? And that's how, like, the 80s slashers films played out. Oh, yeah. So I think now is a good point to switch to the next one unless you guys had any other thoughts about it. No. No, not at the yeah. moment. We should do some honorable mentions at the end, though. That's true. Yeah. We should. Got Okay. So I guess it's my turn to talk. Yeah. So the trope, it's not really a trope. It's more of like a cinematography method that's used in movies is weather. And just the setting in general, uh, commonly used in horror films is like a stormy setting, rain, and then mist, fog. I feel like fog is something that's always just added in as an extra of films you know you're running down the lane and it's a foggy lane you're running through the foggy forest is this tied to like the tone and like color palette that they might choose for something or even like the soundscape that you yeah get? definitely it's it's a whole like embodied experience of what the movie should feel like you know because you can't put something like the grudge in a midsomar setting you no. know the grudge demands darkness it demands mystery yeah we discussed it too there it's kind of rare to find horror films that are bright right and so that's where i also want to bring in midsomar as an example of a horror film that does the opposite of what most films would normally do because usually horror films are a dark right gray sort of setting but midsomar was bright it was super colorful yeah the middle of summer it's fucking you know. beautiful yeah. gorgeous green lush and it's so bright i remember when i went to go see it in the theater being exposed to that brightness for that 
amount of time when i went to the restroom afterwards i looked at myself in the mirror and my eyes were bloodshot <laughs> just from staring like getting them burned by that big yeah. screen we all went to see it and we were we were like we all left with anxiety <laughs> yeah. we were like yo this fucking movie and was, it's something interesting heavy. having that much light it's very yeah. like you feel kind of exposed you know there's no hiding in that kind of light versus how in darkness there's so much uncertainty and mystery both of them are equally as terrifying I, the, in Midsommar, the weather, I think, is used, especially your sunny summer day, is used to, like, create a the illusion of safety Yes, for that, for yeah. that movie in particular. So it's daytime out. I'm safe, right? Right, which is definitely it, – it feeds into the whole cult mentality that the movie goes with because, right. you know, you're following these characters and their experience of this uh, cult out in – what was it? Uh, Sweden? I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yes, it's in Sweden. Yeah, it's in yeah, Sweden. Yeah, and a lot of times when people get indoctrinated into cults, they enter with a sense of security and belonging with this right. group. And, you know, it doesn't always turn out that way in the end, but have to watch the movie and find out. So, I like that you bring up that it's a narrative thing because specifically in Midsommar, they explain how the seasons are the different stages of life. Yep. So yeah. when we see the intro of the movie, we cut to the parents being killed in a triple suicide murder with the sister, and it's winter. And that was uh, in oh, the movie they specify oh, yeah. that winter is like the passing of like old, like people in their 60s or 70s, they will kill themselves because they are going to the next life. Definitely. And there's definitely a sort of solemn, sad feeling that comes with winter. It's very lonely and isolated. What's uh what's the holidays around the winter like not the christian ones like the pagan ones Yule would be yeah. around that time and what's interesting about Yule that not a lot of people know is it's very similar to Samhain or Halloween yep. in that it's a time of the year where the veil between the spiritual world and the physical world is at its thinnest nice. This is where uh, some traditions come, like burning a log during that time yeah. in your hearth. Uh, one, I mean, it's just cold, so you should burn a hearth, <laughs> burn log. a log, you know. But another thing is, is that spirits were believed to be able to come down your chimney during that time of year. Yeah. And so if you don't have a log burned, then it allows the demons and spirits to come in. Not all of them are positive. Nice. This makes me think of Krampus. Yeah. When the fire goes out, he's uh, all the little creatures able to come down the chimney, mm -hmm. including Krampus himself. But right. the grandmother was like, don't let the fire die. Yeah, and Krampus is a part of a lot of more older pagan yeah. lore. Well, I think it was like German folklore in that one. For yeah, Krampus. around the cold mountainous areas. <laughs> it's always mountains and German things. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> that makes you think of uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yep. It's, it's like, I don't know, you got a good uh, mountain climbing story. <laughs> I think that was from, no, that was from, uh, that's from Django Unchained. No. Because, because yeah, huh? Because Christoph Waltz says like, "Oh, it's a German tale. There's always oh, a big mountain you know in what? it." He always oh. he says it in but in that one too. Oh, he said, "Oh, yeah. is it in both movies?" Yeah. Okay, gotcha. That makes me think of something I looked up. I don't know if this is ex exclusively Germany, but you know how people have traditions they like to do at the beginning of the new year. Yeah. So like how we have our parties and we stay up till midnight and then we'll set like resolutions. That's like right. the way we like to do things here. Other places like Germany, I guess it's tradition to go up a mountain, a tall mountain oh, really? on the first day of the year. Climb the mountain, you know, defeat your enemies and your foes and your oh, battles. Dang. Climb that hill. Well, so, so there is a really fun bit of, of German, like of German stuff about mountains and climbing them for love. 
So there's a really rare fa- flower called the Eidolvoss, oh, yes. which is a white flower that's very rare and it grows in high altitude areas. And so like the the myth or like the legend is that men would go yeah. to find this flower for the women that they loved and often die in the attempt <laughs> of doing it. God damn. So in order to bring this one flower back. So yeah, there you go. That's that's a cool story. Like that. that totally just made me think of Avatar. There's an episode where they go to this town that's at the base of a mountain uh, volcano. Yeah. And there's a rare panda lily that grows on the mountain. And if you pick the panda lily and give it to your lover, they'll love you forever. It's true. I totally forgot about it. It's that. interesting how those cultural aspects come through in so many different ways. Right. I mean, I mean, even like the Gr- the Brothers Grimm yeah. is like a bunch of like, those are all German like folk tales and whatnot. And they've yeah. all become like, you know, fairy tales for us in Disney movies and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I even liked the weird 90s movie that came out for, for the Brothers Grimm. It's been a while. It's It was a while ago. But, but like. Since we're on the topic of German, I would like to also point out that I feel like the use of setting and weather is also very reminiscent of that of german expressionism oh yeah and that with german expressionism the interiors on the exterior so what the character is feeling is reflected in the setting that they're in so a lot of times if the character is in distress it'll be represented by like maybe a rainstorm or a dark gloomy night something like that we talked about how rain has always been a a cleansing thing that shows up in horror films oh yeah we saw it in uh was it us the, when uh, she's walking out of the fun house with the mirrors, it's yeah. like raining. And then it's also raining in Mandy, which yeah. is also another good example of environment getting set up. Because that was something I wanted to talk about. Because totally in that case, yeah, rain is really diverse in what it can symbolize. Right. It can symbolize, yes, cleansing, sometimes even like fertility. And in a lot of other yeah. cases, it represents shit about to go down. Yeah, Like right. in Mandy, it's it was pretty ominous. much raining for that whole like rampage scene. Yeah. Just like storming. And I feel like that really just shows the rage that he had inside him. It was then projected outwards into the environment that he was in. Man, what a good movie. I know that movie. It's beautiful, too. And then the lighting in the back of the rain, too. It's not just dark rain. It's like you have these interesting reds and vibrant colors that come through as well. They made like their whole lore for that. Like that movie existed in its own world. And then even the ending when he's like driving away. He, like, is driving into, like, some weird landscape. And so this kind of, like, pushes your your suspense of disbelief even further to be, like, where the fuck was he the whole time? Right. And you just, you're just getting more of these layers added on top. For, for movies like Mandy, they want you to feel like that. Like, you want to be teleported to, like, a whole different world. But then some of them are, like, they want you to be, like, you're, you're, it's relatable. This is, like, someone's house. This is, like, a suburban neighborhood. Sometimes even using weather as the antagonist, yeah, especially yeah. with like disaster. Those are whole, disaster movies. As much as they're probably thrillers or suspense, they're technically, in a sense, horror movies. I would say that. Yeah, to, like to just point. think about twenty twelve. That is a terrifying movie. <laughs> uh, just think is of that the, the one where they make the arcs? Yeah, yeah, and then California just kind of goes bloop into yeah. the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> it like fucking breaks in half. Yeah. Um, and so I think that when you have when, the weather is something that people cannot control. We don't have the ability yeah. to do that. And so at, at times it's, it's meant to be like the, like it's a force of nature. You cannot stop this from happening. Think that also how, makes me, oh, oh sorry, sorry, go ahead. Think about how it was in the fog, how like that yeah. huge, just giant glowing fog that surrounds the entire Island. 
Yep, that's true. It ends up creating uh, just this one area that's affected. And this is like where your story is going to occur. Oh, the, the conflict is in that part of the island right, right there. <laughs> it's like when you look on a map in like a in a role playing game, you're like, here's the little island that has mist around it constantly. And, you, <laughs> and you're like, okay, okay, that's like you one have of those not explored this part of map. <laughs> Got to be level forty to go into that <laughs> that area over there. <laughs> um, sorry, what were you saying, Justine? Oh shit, I forgot what I was saying. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, just setting up how you're going to feel about the film with weather with like, Oh yeah. The setting I was like actually going to talk about uh, the craft. Yes. That was another representation of rain that I really liked in that projecting the energy. Um, oh, that's right. There's this specific scene where they were calling the guardians of the watchtower yeah. on the beach and they were trying to invoke the spirit basically. And that was sort of when Nancy got all her, her God juice, you know, and things kind of started went crazy after yeah. that, but it was a, a tipping moment you have that huge storm on the beach lightning strikes them and then all these whales and animals are washed up on the beach right after that from the storm uh it was just a really powerful moment to see the connection between her psyche their psyche the situation and then also the environment all reflecting each other this is also this also has to do with just like good production for like a film mm -hmm. you can tell that that the director the art director the director of cinematography they all decided to like actually work together and make a cohesive thing because mm -hmm. sometimes you'll see a film that's like oddly lit and you're like i don't know why they did this or like the costume's off or like something else is just not working there and the tone and setting is kind of overlooked a lot in films because it might cost them a lot to do it unless somebody is going to right. like they're really adamant about it like the person who directed mandy was very adamant about having that color palette mm -hmm. in the film the synth wave color palette yeah for real it's literally like the synth wave color palette because you see it in like all the youtube synth videos i also noticed it was similar to color out of space yep also featuring the oh, well, it's like <laughs> it was just so close to being these like own condensed stories that they they've taken from something else and they have so many influences that get brought and distilled into this one story mm -hmm. and for mandy you got to see like these unique killers who were just like on a bad acid trip i think was like their backstory but like the dude is like asking for blood as like an offering yeah where he, i think he even says like blood for blood blood for <laughs> he like gets a cup full of blood and he's like drinking that so it's like it kind of adds in like you wouldn't have been able to do something like that if say it was just dark right because you're like then like it's just a dude in a dark hill you had like mm -hmm. the setting of all of the purple behind him and you're like it looks like it's lit from far yeah, away you get the fucking the shot of them all on the quads yeah for real the fog it was almost fog. like theatrical i mean it was theatrical you wouldn't normally see this theatrical. kind of lighting and it really like amplified the emotion i feel of that scene with the reds the purples i'm these, glad like, you mentioned that mm -hmm. because they do do it in theater yeah where they'll have like fog machines they'll have like yeah. the lighting coming in with filters and like i mean that's what i think about when i'm like doing my lighting for like a dance production yeah. or something like that what color feels like this moment does this moment demand a little bit of mist to really like bring out that color and have the color nice. fill the space that even gets into like color theory mm -hmm. yeah um so my favorite use of weather isn't in a horror movie well i mean they use it everywhere what was yours it's in a video game okay and oh. that's in halo 3 odst <laughs> nice so which it, part the entire game just the, oh just because here's the thing when you're when you are playing ODST in the intro cutscene, 
you are coming into a world that is full of sunshine because it is a day mission. They're going to go in, right. drop on a carrier, do the mission, get the fuck out. It goes wrong as a spaceship comes into hyperspace. All of their pods get knocked into the fucking everywhere around the, the world of New Mombasa. And you, as your character, wake up literal hours after and it's yeah. dark. And you could tell that it's raining. Every time you step on the ground, you hear water. It has yep. rained here before. And you are all alone. You are by yourself. It is very much... And you're trying to find the rest of your squad. And it's very gumshoe is how they tried to make it and portray it. Because you find relics from hours prior. And you go through a flashback to see how that piece got there. So... And then it's accompanied by Marty O'Donnell's saxophone. And it's <laughs> fucking amazing. And it just... It hits you in so many ways. It does not have a vinyl release and I will find every fucking way I can to press that shit on some illegal piece of fucking plastic. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm actually surprised it doesn't have a vinyl press. That's the thing. When you go in the flashbacks, you see some of the people in the daytime yeah. and they go through this entire thing. And the last area where you go through the data hive, it's completely pitch black. Most, a guy got fucking like mer- almost mortally wounded by the time that they actually get off the actual planet. It's bright and sunny and it's beautiful. And there's like those hints of orange and yellow and purple, like you said. Mm-hmm. But on the contrary, in a horror movie, we have The Strangers, which takes place all during the night. And then you have the ending and it's night. It's like daytime. It's fucking morning. And you think that they're going to get out, but you realize that they're not going to make it. It's a fucking false sense of security for the characters in The Strangers. And they die in that thing. And then the kids walk up and they're like, oh, here's a pamphlet for fucking Jesus. And they see these three people covered in blood, tattered and fucking torn. And they just look at the dead people in the fucking morning. And it's just like, this shouldn't happen when morning comes out. We should have the happy resolution. But it doesn't come in that movie. Uh, well, the so what I wanted to talk about was how... Uh, societal anxieties find their ways into horror films and how they're mirrored in most of the horror films. So how people are feeling during a time might reflect into this film very directly. So say people are afraid of serial killers. They're afraid of someone breaking into their home and killing them. You end up getting slasher films, which was like happening around the 80s and the 90s when you had just random people running around you like the Zodiac Killer. You had like the Night Strangler, like shit like that. And so it translated into movies where they made characters like this because people were scared uh, that someone was going to do this. So they played on that fear and made movies. It's kind of like how when we were scared of uh, like natural disasters, we had disaster films. We had tons of disaster films show up. We had fucking Twister. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> there was volcano. like Volcano. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. What's that movie? Dante's Peak. The one with about the fucking volcano. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like the slowest killer ever, but like it somehow manages to kill like a ton of people because they're stubborn. They don't want to like leave their houses and shit. Like Justine said, 2012. A good one is the day after tomorrow. Yeah, that's a really that's a good fucking movie. good one because he makes like a journey, like yeah, through a, New York. Yeah, in like the fucking freezing cold to go save his family, and he's on a giant ice mountain where and it turns out it's the fucking Statue of Liberty. Yeah. It's fucking, it's good, man. That's the thing. Like, I think what your trope is, is more of just like where society is as a culture mm. and how the movies reflect that. And that's the thing. Like, it's always that it's the conversation of how do movies reflect our culture and how do cultures reflect our movie? 
that was something I talked about a lot in uh, this art class, art history class we took is like what can be seen about history by what is made during that time. Oh, gotcha. And so in regards to film, like what was being made around that time is always very representative of what was going on politically, economically, socially, like the movies we have nowadays. What are some some things that we see a lot? Uh, well, we're starting to see unique horror films like Get Out and Us, mm-hmm. specifically Jordan Peele is like on the front of that. But you also have other films where uh, people are afraid of like immigrants. So you have uh, like Mexican film directors making movies about like immigrants getting tortured and like captured and doing stuff like that. So it's unique to like a group of people. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a little more focused. They're marginalizing themselves. Uh, in a way, they're kind of taking advantage of the thought of like exploitation films and making it so that it becomes more of an awareness thing than it is about exploiting whatever people are in the film. And so it's like an opposite of like what happened when they made like the black exploitation movies where like this was the only way people could get into the film. So they agreed to it, even though it was like a bad stereotype. Now it's kind of like that's all getting changed around where they're able to have these people as stars of the movie in a positive way. Do you like Black Dynamite? I love Black Dynamite. Yeah, same. <laughs> but like, funny. but like you, I think what's problematic about it is that like he's a really bad stereotype of like what a black man is supposed to be, and so you then like you feel weird about liking something like that. Okay, I think it's always good to be able to make fun of yourself. Also. Also, well, Black Dynamite's a special case in that it was mocking black exploitation films, also that, like the entire thing. Yeah. Like that was the point of that movie. So also, the TV yeah. show was made like that. Yeah, too. there. I have not seen the TV show. The TV but... show is so fucking funny. I'm talking <laughs> about the animated one. Like they had, like you had a what is it, Night of the Living Dead, or yeah, Night of the Living Dead, where at the like the guy, the black guy in the film, he was like one of the first black heroes. Yeah, he gets all the way to the end, saves her, and then gets shot through the window because they think he's a zombie. That shit broke my heart the first time I saw that. Which is like such a pivotal moment in film because you ha- you didn't have any like main black stars at that time in film. And George Romero decided to do something like that because he knew it would be like an uproar from people watching the film. Do you it think it... Think oh, of, sorry. Uh, it made me think of, what was it, Get Out. The yeah. ending of Get Out was interesting because... Um, you know how he's leaving, you know, he finally escapes and you see those police lights coming oh, up. Man, yeah, That was definitely something that played on my emotion because typically as a black person, that situation and in those situations that we've seen prior, if I see police lights, I would expect them to think that he was the killer right, or something like that and then shoot him down. It was an interesting play on that because it didn't turn out that way. Yeah. But it was that moment of anxiety of assumption that goes with that sort of situation. It was great. I'm glad he did it the way he did and he actually got away because one of the alternate endings was that uh, it was a cop and he gets shot. Mm -hmm. And that would have been the ending. But he felt like after making the character go through so much, he wanted him to get out. (laughs) Literally. So it's like that was like his point was that he wanted him to escape and actually make it through the film and actually have a main black character make it through the film and not get killed in a horror film. Do you think like Romero, like, had to kill the black guy because of the societal thing that that was happening or do you think he like he do you think he would have gotten away with it or do you think like you know he had to do it to appease the audience and appease hollywood because they were so segregated at the time 
I think it would have been social commentary if he did actually make it away because that's not something you really see that often in movies. And I think it would be honestly refreshing for the Black audience to be able to see a character who looks like them walk away from the scene. If anything, I feel like he should have been able to walk away from it. I think it would have been very profound if he did. I know that he has he has stated that the reason why he did that was because he wanted a white audience to see a black character die on the screen in front of them and to make that as visceral for them as possible to like tell people this is what happens to black people all around America and you are not paying attention. So he's definitely did it on purpose that way. But I agree. I think he should have survived the film. What time would have been more? What effective. year did that film come out? Like, oh, shoot. It was like 56, I think. Mm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. It was very like it was black and white. So it was yeah. like one of like the early horror films or I mean, he made like the zombie genre. Yeah. And like his career didn't suffer at all from it. So it's like, yeah. I mean, could... I would expect that. I think it would have yeah. honestly probably been a pivotal moment in the film if he had walked away, especially being that early on when the assumptions of black roles were very different. Right. You know, I think it would have obviously shocked a lot of people for him to walk away. I think a lot of people in that time might have been happy to see him not walk away. Yeah, that was what I was thinking, too, was mm-hmm. that I'm sure someone in the audience was watching and being like, finally, like this person got shot. And mm-hmm. like, that's like a deserving moment for something that happened. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's like because most of America was fucking right. white and racist. And had he actually had the character survive and then have that movie gain mm-hmm. the popularity that it did, people would have started to be like, huh, well, maybe we could do that, too. And it would have completely, right. I feel, shifted the narrative of how movies would have been. But we didn't go that direction. So how often, how often in these or like fifties movies do we see black characters in a heroic role? Not, I, I honestly can't think of another one. Exactly. So in this one, it, it kind of props up the idea for like a tragic hero sort of idea as well, which is sort of might be what he was also going for. I don't know. I feel like black people have had enough tragedy. (laughs) Yeah, no, of course. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is correct or what, what have you. Art is all very I'm just putting in my two cents. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, of course. I mean, like the, like history aside, but I mean, I think that could also be an aspect though, trying to create like a tragic hero sort of situation who is, un- who is just like unfortunately gunned down by the system. Oh essentially. yeah. So you have like that, that type of aspect well, that, that was, you could toy with if you wanted to. That was a really big piece of it is that a lot of horror films are usually someone versus everybody else or someone versus an environment, someone versus something. So most horror films are not going to be just like something happens to one person and that's it. It's usually going to be like where they're fighting against something that's much larger than them. Say like, what is it? Drag me to hell, which is like, Mm. like the girl was just trying to do her job. And then like she gets cursed basically because she doesn't give this woman a loan. So it's like suddenly you have all these forces working against her. So a lot of films will usually follow that formula of this is the main character versus something. I'm glad you bring that up because when we go into the 70s, it doesn't matter what your color is because there's only one thing that we're going against and that's communists. Right. And, oh wait, two things and fucking Satanism. Right. So (laughs) there was the satanic panic, (laughs) which was like in the 80s where they like thought Dungeons and Dragons was like satanic. And then like pretty much anything associated with like that, like Dungeons and Dragons, anything that was like horror-esque gothic, they were like, nope, this is like satanic. And they were terrified for their children. And that became a whole fad. This, like, the satanic panic gets, like, laughed about a lot. 
but there were a lot of like 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 younger people during that time period that literally had like their hobbies yanked away from them by their parents yeah. because of this fear and like destroy like in a way destroyed people's lives over this because over this ridiculous notion. I just watched a documentary on fucking Satanism today that was really good on like yeah. the Satanic Temple. Which one did you watch? Just the uh, one on uh, it was called what was it called Satanism. Did they talk about like Antoine LaVey and all of that good well, stuff? Well, they went in. It was it was centering around the current like the modern day Satanic Temple, uh-huh. and they talked a little bit about like the Satanic Panic. But it's it's centering around them like fighting over um, basically like, Christian supremacy, yeah, in politics and whatnot. And so it's them, and it's their statue. It's like it centers around them getting their statue up and how that's like their big oh, like political okay. movement. It's interesting too because Satanism nowadays is more philosophical than it is like. Uh, it has nothing to do with Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Other than, other than like, other than like the metaphor of the like the um, what's the term for it? The like he's a like a, as a metaphor for like the other, or yeah. like the um like the antithesis of the modern or of the uh, status quo. It's less of like a god that they praise to, and more of like an archetype that they try to strive for. So I wanted to bring up Jack Chick. You're not aware? He's the guy that makes the little tiny comic books that you get at church that tell you about what not to do with your life. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they had a, several of them. My favorite one is the Dungeons and Dragons one. Oh, my God. Where uh, the person who, like, she gets her character sheet ripped up by her parents. So she attempts to kill herself because she loves D&D so much. And that was her escape. And that it was going into Satanist, like, kind of ideals. And that's when I, that's where I, like, Recently, I have been going back to church, and I think the coolest part about it is hearing all the satanic shit that happens with Christians. Like, okay, so so we called for a hundred sacrifices on the altar, and the king of this fucking country actually got a hundred goats and slaughtered them on the altar for Jesus. I was like, wait, wait, did you say that correct, Pastor? He's like, yeah, for Jesus. I was like, holy fucking shit! They hold them blutes for Jesus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have all these. Christian ideals being Dude, like sa- animal sacrifice Bible was fucking Nuts. brutal. Hey, <laughs> hey, the best thing about that though, the accurate fucking representation of angels though, that shit's hard as fuck. They're rings <laughs> of fucking, fear. they're like rings of fucking like, of like angelic fucking that. prisms. They're all these morphed fucking crazy things. It's just like the Bible was hard. I understand why people fear it, but that's the thing. I, I have you ever asked a kid, why they go to church yeah because their parents make them well exactly my favorite my favorite (laughs) my favorite one is my parents made me do it and two uh because if they didn't if they said i didn't go i'd go to hell yeah it's like oh fuck you're using the they're using the fear tactic they got Mm -hmm. you buddy oh yeah that's all of fucking christianity (laughs) yeah just the fear tactic yeah they're just like making you afraid of god and so part of the reason why i left the church i was like why should i be afraid all the time this doesn't this doesn't feel very holy to me so, the funniest thing about God is that he hit the reset button like four times. He was like, you know what, fuck this shit. He was like, time to fucking kill everybody. I'm loading a new save. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He was like, time to reset this shit. Gotta clear the board. Destroyed it. No, I'm, picking, I'm picking different stats this time yeah, around. This bullshit. Uh, yeah, this the build fuck? sucks. It's like they started, I don't know what happened. They just started killing each other for no reason. So that's the thing. So you had the satanic panic. Like starting in the seventies and in the eighties, yeah. but also you had the fear of communism, yeah, um, which was like it's the red scare. The red scare. Bum, bum, bum. 
around the, the area of the Cold War where not only you have to take care of your own family, but you have to be wary of your neighbors now. This is so great because anything that they thought was un-American was automatically communist. So they were like, socialism, communist. <laughs> oh, Sharing you're not going to buy American made? Sounds communist to me. <laughs> and do you, I mean, are there any films that you could like reference that like could, could like, like for the red scare for the red scare like not only i mean not just with the specific red scare but like a horror film that taps mm -hmm. into the fears with the red scare you've got like they live uh yeah that was like one of the biggest ones any alien invasion movie right Uh, or night of the body snatchers yeah yeah that that was one of them uh god i'm trying to think of what was the other one i I thought of it earlier i think that there's one of the i think i think one of like the night of the living deads also like has a lot of like that sort of parallel with like communism being like the big fear and that's when george romero did the fucking dawn of the dead to talk about shit about capitalism yep what was was that the one in the mall (laughs) yeah yeah mall shoppers are basically zombies yeah is what he was saying yeah that was great that was another good social commentary I liked was the whole zombie phase that we had. I feel like was direct commentary about social media and how involved everyone has gotten into that technological aspects to their life as they right. sort of have become zombies in a sense by following these trends and mindlessly really and just kind of going about in a daze. No, that makes sense because we are now getting into a time of horror films where we are seeing things that are reflected in our current society. So the biggest thing obviously now is racial tensions in America and how we feel about like innocent black people getting killed and especially by the police. So it's like you have these things that are already out there in like, what is it? The zeitgeist of whatever's going on. And then you have films that come out that reflect that fear, which is obviously get out us. And then you also have other ones that are coming out. And so your horror films are getting split into kind of two different things. You have like the super fancy art house films, like the lighthouse, which is like its own condensed story about has nothing to do with society. It's really just this one story. I think we sort of found parallels, but it wasn't really too much on like modern stuff that's happening. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say the lighthouse was, was very much a, a time piece yeah, sort of idea. Yeah. Like a lot of like Ari's stuff is. Yeah. Well, he loves making period pieces. Yeah, where it's exactly. Like, so you made the, what he made the, the witch, right? Yeah. He did the witch. No, also. that was Robert. No, Eggers. that was oh, Robert. Eggers. Excuse me. But All you, right. you get yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, he's working on the Viking one right now. Yeah. And Bjork's going to be it, which makes me, oh. yeah. which makes me fucking realize something. David Lynch ain't going to be doing the death grip move death grips movie it's gonna be fucking robert eggers yeah probably because here's the thing he's already worked with robert pattinson yeah who is on a death grips track oh. and he's already worked with he's going to be working with bjork and bjork is, does right remix or they had double fucking remixes on two singles with death grips i, would, I so, just can't i would love a horror film with a death grip song like that'd be so fucking brutal that would be hard i mean it's it's been in like some things i believe like i know for you ever see bojack horseman yeah they do the fucking no love song when they're all fucking doing coke and shit. Just like, we need to write a fucking script. Yeah. And they're like, oh, give me that fucking shit. <laughs> I love that fucking shit. But that's, that's the so thing. Like, if I could see them in a fucking movie, I'd love it. Hell yeah. But yeah, just mentioning that. But the thing is, like, we got our Ari Aster and Robert Eggers kind of thing. Right. Going on. And it's like, it is art house, like you said, and period piece. So they have, like, their own little things. But at the same time, I believe, like, with that as well as the racial things we have a shifting change in culture with people people are more open to being nerdy now a days that too 
that's the thing. Like people are like, yeah, I like Pokemon. I like magic. I like Dungeons and Dragons. And that's the thing. You're going to get a lot more fantasy esque stories now that are well, horror related. Some of, there was a huge moment where people were talking about films like get out because to some people they didn't think it was scary or they didn't think it was a good horror film because they didn't understand what was happening exactly. And so then they had the split of people who didn't like it, which obviously were mostly people who are uh, not a person of color. They were like, this is like a dumb movie. And then it gets into the realm of like, what exactly is scaring people? And in this case, it's the people who are going to do some terrible things because they're racist. And so you then get the idea of like, what is the modern day version of that? It's these dudes who wear like the MAGA hats and like will do pretty much any violent thing for their like belief of like, yes, this needs to be like a white supremacy thing. And this is like terrifying to people of color because then you have a specific genre of horror where it's like uh, there's like settler horror where it's like the colonists who came into the area are now like destroying all the people who live here. And like that appeals specifically to well, it scares people of a certain group, which is like obviously get out was scary for people who are black. And then you have other films that are like specifically for people who are immigrants, Hispanic, like you're scared of say like the ice like border patrol who's going to pick you up you don't know every single agent is going to be like actually doing their job or are they going to take you somewhere and fucking torture you so it's like you have this evolution of what film is becoming for a modern audience i think like what really is different now well not different but a prime example of like what you're saying is like i feel like it's really prevalent in video games now because they realize yeah. that they could do complex stories with a lot of things and the one I like to bring up is the new Colossus Wolfenstein. Yeah. For In real. the alternate history where Nazis actually win World War II by making the atomic bomb. Yeah. So then you have this uh, like integrated society where the KKK is trying to learn German with the fucking Nazis. And uh, you eventually meet like Wolfenstein, uh, the main character of Wolfenstein, BJ Blaskowitz. You actually meet his dad and he's just, he's saying the N word and shit. You actually kill the dad. Spoiler. But it's like you go through all these things like this is a white man's country. This is what we believe. Yeah. Like God, this is God's wrath and we're just paving the way for the new society. And in, in the game you could, I mean, my, my favorite part is when he's auditioning to be BJ Blaskowitz in a movie and Hitler's overlooking the casting role. And he's just like, all right, you go up. And he's like, oh, you want to see a fucking actor? He grabs a gun. And he fucking guns down a Nazi right in front of him. He's like, that's fucking acting. And he's like, this is my fucking guy. Get these fucking people out of here. This guy's fucking, this is the, this is it. This is my actor right here. <laughs> guns down a dude for real. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds about right for what he would do. That dude's just on fucking meth the whole time. So I could see that happening. <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's crazy too because like – uh I mean, that, that's like a couple years after like World War II was supposed to end. So Hitler right. is like disheveled. He's pissing himself. He's literally pissing on fucking food and then just like going to a different table and like grabbing as much food as he can. And he's just like drinking heavily. And he's like, all right, show me the fucking actors. Let's see this shit. What the hell? I, I have yeah. not looked into that at all. So I definitely need to go check it out. I, I feel like with, with like Get Out, you have a lot of like the – the, the tension that's built up through like social interactions right and whatnot through like what does this person mean by saying that what do they mean by saying this like uh, are their motives being like are their motives being hidden by their words or are they outwardly saying such it did and such? a good job of showing people what microaggressions are 
And if you're not familiar with what microaggressions are, it's when somebody will say something to a person of color that sounds nice, but is not actually nice. And they're being racist by the, the comment that comes out of their mouth. Uh, that makes me think of uh, an example. I, I went to this like bonfire thing with my friend. I hadn't seen her in a long time. And it was like some sort of church bonfire thing. I was like, whatever, I'm there for you. I'll go, whatever. And I'm sitting there talking to all these kids. This is probably like when I was a freshman in high school. And I can't even really remember where the conversation was going. But this like little little mouse of a white kid with some glasses turns and looks to me. And he's like, you know, you're one of the cool black people. Like you're one of the okay ones. And I was like, what? Yo. <laughs> uh, I didn't even respond. I just kind of looked at him like nod. Uh, I'm gonna go over here and get some hot dogs, peace. I mean, isn't, <laughs> right. isn't that worse when you're like when like a child does that to you? Like, I mean, he wasn't a child. Oh, he was gotcha, like understood. 14. He knows oh. what the fuck he was doing. Okay. I'm holding you accountable at 14. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that must just be like a, I don't know. I, I, I feel like children are just yeah. vastly naive and ignorant to what they're saying. Oh. Like a lot. I, I, at least I feel like that way sometimes because I mean, I being having. Being almost 30 now and knowing myself when I was like 13 and 14, like I probably said a lot of very dumb things and the things. Yeah, it was realize. dumb and he should be called out for it. And I'm, yeah, I'm upset that I did not call him out for it. Yeah. If I could go back in time, I'd probably smack those glasses off his face with my words. Yeah. Because no, we're I... sophisticated yes, here, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yo, bro, take this knife to the fucking hospital for me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard that one before. Hey, no. keep it warm for me, okay? Uh, another version of this is, oh, you're really pretty for a black girl. I've gotten that a lot. I've also gotten, a, I've never been with a black girl before. Or like, it's like, bro, oh. this isn't your little fetish experience. Like, fuck off. Yeah, or you speak really well for a Hispanic person. Like, that's usually... A, okay, but here's here's what I want to fucking call out. Or you don't out. sound black. Also that. I get that way too much. That's what I want to fucking call out. John will agree with me, and he'll love me for this. What? Hispanics being racist towards Hispanics. So what if I don't oh, speak yeah. Spanish? Fuck you. It's ironic that they're mad about not speaking Spanish because Spanish was raped into the culture. By that's the, the thing. Spanish, it's so a colonized it's like, fucking language. It's a colonized language, so you really shouldn't be that mad. But also, Hispanic people are hella racist against black people. And you're like, whoa. And Asians. <laughs> it's like, bro, we're all brown. We're all being oppressed. It doesn't make any sense because there's so many mixed people in Central and South America. So you're like, why is there this like really prevalent racism against black people? And right. it's just... I don't know. Like, you talk to some of these Hispanic grandmas, and, like, they're hella racist. And you're like, oh, my God. I remember a friend of mine. She comes from Cuba. And yeah. her oh mom God. told her this, is that her mom told her that she should marry and have babies with a man who is a lighter skin tone than her because there's sort of this cultural idea that lighter skin tones are better. And, you know, people in Cuba are very dark. Yep. And so there's this idea that you need to breed out the darkness, that it's something bad. Yikes. It's kind of crazy, too, that that's something she told me just a few years ago. In modern times, it's still something that's happening. Yeah, because we're only a few generations away from, like, some of the most terrible things that happen. Yeah. So it's just, like, that is uh, that is the biggest issue, I think, with people trying to talk about current racial uh, issues and the disparity between, like, what's happening amongst each other is that we're only, like, a hundred or so years from people, like, lynching each other. Right. Like, there's people alive who had parents who were slaves yes. and grandparents who were exactly. slaves. This is still very much in our consciousness. Crazy. 
with everything being discussed, where do you think horror is going to be going into mm. the within like the next few years or the next 10 years? Uh, I think we are in a rare moment where, uh, like we discussed before, production is completely stopped for most films. And then when it fucking gets going again, they're going to hire so many fucking people. I think what's going to happen is everyone who has a fucking script done, that movie's going to get made. Like, they're going to have somebody that, like, we need content because everyone has just watched everything. So this may be one of those moments where there's just a complete renaissance of horror films that are coming out. And this gives the opportunity for so many people to try their their hand at it. So as far as the horror ideas, I think, that are coming out, I think we're going to see a lot of, like, dystopian things coming yes, out. definitely. We're, we're definitely going to see, like, like totalitarian government type, like, yeah. sort of things. Like, we've already had stuff like The Purge. Yeah, you're like the which purge, is a whole, you which see is more like, Mad Max. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah, like, I, I think we'll be seeing, like, as far as, like, horror goes, I think yeah. we'll be seeing something along, like, something very dystopian like that coming up soon. A plague yeah. sort oh, of things sure. as well. Like, like, yeah. uh, like we're like going to be seeing something like plague, that pretty like soon. That. I would even lame. say environmental horror. So, yeah. like, natural disasters, because yeah. that's definitely like something that's... Shit. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's pretty prevalent, especially for people that live out here in California. Our fire season just keeps on getting longer and longer every year yeah. we're getting hotter and hotter heat waves each year i right. feel like every year they're like this is the hottest summer on record yeah it's says been the like same that. thing for the past what five six Fucking years now 15 years it's been doing that yeah where they're just like it's the hottest summer on record we've it's like had 110 in san diego like, we've had fuck? crazy hurricanes in the gulf they were talking about the possibility of two hurricanes in the two gulf which has touchdown. never happened before yeah. we've never had the conditions but now We've become at such an unstable point where this is something that's possible and everyone's thinking about it and not everyone is thinking about it as much as they should. But I feel like that's something we'll start to see more things like 2012 and movies like that. Yeah. We might also see a rise in more like fantasy things as well here pretty soon because I mean, this isn't horror, but we'll see a rise in that because usually during times of like mass crisis, they love fantasy, love fantasy stuff. Escapism. It, it's yeah, exactly. Think about yeah. like the whole Marvel thing that it came out like a while ago, like 2001, you had your first Lord of the Rings and that was a huge deal at the time as well. And there's like, if you think about everything that was going on at the time, so art definitely matches up with history and current yeah. like social feelings and things like that. I think there will be two, at least two movies about, well, I think, I don't know. I want to see a movie, which I think it might happen, where people just uprise and kill the president. I want. I think that is coming. Like people, just like an overall shift. They're just like, hey, you're not, your world's leaders. We're just going to murder them. See how society runs after that. Can we just and, get that in real life? That's, that, that's, 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 that's Handmaid's Tale. Oh know. yeah, that's that's that that's how that dystopian plays out. Oh my out. god, yeah. that my yeah. friend is the French Revolution. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so, yes. <laughs> so, that, that's the thing on a large wide scale in real time with social media as well. But oh, then, yeah. as well as that, but I also think we're gonna get a lot of end of the world like fucking biblical kind of stories coming out too. But I feel like the way that movies have been going lately is people are starting to turn away from God, which I'm actually very happy for. Paganism is a thing. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot more of like witch paganism, Wicca starting to come into media. You have things like American Horror Story Coven, Sabrina, which was a hit. Yeah. Everybody loved that show and they were straight up Satanists. Yeah, they really were. And then they also got to delve into other gods of worship. You have Lilith, you have Hecate, you have all the pagan gods. 
I would love to see a horror movie about indigenous tribes or people of Aztec. Uh, basically, just the killers in the movie are the crusaders. The killers in the movie are the people who are fucking trying to de- gentrify them. The but, closest you got to it was Apocalypto. That's what I'm. That, yeah, I'm saying we're gonna we're probably gonna have another rise of like those kind of fucking movies. I really like that movie for it being directed by Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, about that. I was like, how the fuck did he, it was like very period accurate for what he put in there. Um, and like only slightly exaggerate it. Dude, my fucking coworker used to call me apocalypto. <laughs> he, he'd be like apocalypto from across the sh- shop. And I'd be like, what up? What up? <laughs> uh, I do hope for stuff like that too. I hope there's going to be a little more variety than your typical white man in a horror film with his white girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Because that is like the norm for what is in film today. Um, and it hasn't really improved much because most of film is a, is a boys club and it's mostly white men who are running film. So it's like, there still needs to be a, a change. And I think now we're getting, we're getting into a really good opportunity to do something like that. So I think we'll start getting into some, modern horror that's gonna be very unique and original a lot of original ideas i think are gonna show up that's the thing like we're hollywood hates fucking new ideas but i feel like i agree with you that they're gonna be grasping at straws and just taking as much as they can after the surge with the virus yeah because i mean the only people still making money are like the netflix people like all the streaming services are the only ones making money so like the studios are gonna be like fuck these streaming services we need to make some good movies so they're gonna like and they've got all this money that's been sitting around that they're going to fucking start paying out and see what they can make. Especially like indie studios that are like, this is the time like a 24, I think is going to really fucking come out of nowhere with like more and more distribution to be able to match some of the big studios because they've been, they've been hitting it with all the fucking films they've been distributing. Like they got some really good ones. We've talked about like nine different a 24 films Jesus, (laughs) because they're so they've been really good. So I think that's what's going to happen, and I think this is a really good spot to wrap up everything. So did you guys have any final thoughts? Any last things you wanted to mention? Honorable mentions for horror tropes. Yeah, right. Oh, God. Uh, sticking your hand in um, the meat pro- or the, the, uh, the food processor inside of there. <laughs> Who hasn't seen that or almost getting their face shoved in it or something? That's yeah. a good trope. I like that one. Not a trope, but I just want to bring back the stereo death from Lost Boys. <laughs> what is it? Death by stereo? That's great. Guy never shot a gun before in his life can fucking KO anyone. <laughs> Except all the weeks from fucking The Mist. He's my man. Uh, my favorite thing, which is also sort of not a trope, but it does happen, is when one dude's like, fuck it, I'm going to fight the killer, and then just loses terribly. Like just gets folded, <laughs> just, like, just gets fucking folded every time they this. do something like that. Fuck this guy! I'm going out there. I'm gonna kick his ass. The trope of you fuck, you die. <laughs> yes, because, just, because yeah. hey, sometimes we're there for the titties. Uh, <laughs> sin is terrible. Why, why the fuck have we not mentioned screaming this with the rules? The rules. It's also a great trope. Never say you'll leave, and I'll, or I'll be right back. I'll be right back. <laughs> hey guys, guy. I'll be right back. I'm gonna you grab a beer. I feel like I say that a lot. <laughs> and then you sit on the toilet for ten minutes looking at memes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep. 
I'm I'm like an old man. I sit on the toilet with reading material. The killer. <laughs> oh wait, the other one was the killer has the last scare in the last frame before they actually kill yeah. him. Yeah. It's like it's like in that they did like I think they did a new Friday the Thirteenth, and at the very end, like he like Freddy comes out of like a mirror and like just pierces through this lady's head. I think it was like the end of it. So that's like one of those one example of like mirrors, the final. Scream. Oh my gosh, mirror smiling back at you. Oh geez. Yeah, mirror. Yep, that's a good one. Um, the uh toys that will like turn their head. Fuck! I was just about to say that. Really? <sighs> Get out of my head. <laughs> Uh, my other one was uh, demonic pets. <laughs> so like suddenly your fucking dog loses control and fucking attacks you. Oh, uh, some sort of ghostly entity crawling up your bed sheets. Oh yeah, a little lump under the sheet. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one also because you never know what's underneath that lump. Checking uh, for monsters underneath your closet. You or say underneath under your, bed. your closet. Or sorry, underneath your bed and <laughs> in your closet. Your closet. <laughs> what kind of closet do you have? You talking about the closet underneath the stairs? Uh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> hey, yo, fuck Harry Potter. <laughs> no, not fuck Harry Potter. Fuck, fuck J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I'm glad we're in agreement here. Because she's like hella transphobic and homophobic. So, fuck. Kind of racist, yeah. too. Yeah, she's racist. She's, she's definitely, definitely racist. racist. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Oh, wait a minute. There's always like like the group of teenagers that all represent a very specific right. trope, the dumb jock, yeah, the like the like the hot cheerleader, the hot the hot cheerleader one, and you know they're both gonna die like early yeah, on in the movie, yeah, because they have sex, because they <laughs> fuck, yeah, exactly. And then you've got and then you've got like the like the nerdy like the nerdy not as promiscuous girl who's probably gonna make it out of the yeah, film. she's usually the final girl, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, see, I think who who lays these tropes down really well is Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Who lays like lays this shit down? Oh, right. They really even labeled well. them. They have like they yeah. have the stoner. They have the virgin. Yeah. They have the whore. And then like uh, I think the warrior was the last one. Yeah. The uh, the athlete and yeah. whatnot. And uh, oh yeah, it's a great movie. I, I would love to do it. We should definitely do Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, that's a good one. That'd be a good for the uh, horror comedy uh, episode. Another one. All right. Cool. Then before I let everybody go, I want to remind everyone we're super easy to find on all the streaming services. You can just Google bringing down the grindhouse or you can go to our website, which is bdtghpodcast.com where you can stream the podcast from the website or you can follow it through to one of the streaming sites. If you can leave us any comments, any recommendations on our social media pages. And if you can leave a review on the Apple podcast, it really helps us um, for our rating and we get more easily seen on the website. We do have our Patreon that is live as well, where you can get some behind the scenes content like the bloopers that we record right before recording this episode or any of the episodes. We also have our personal segments. And then if you want to join Patreon and have a special episode like this one made, it's the easiest thing to do is to join it and then give us a recommendation. We allow you to vote on certain things that you want to hear throughout the month. This one, again, was a special episode done for Anthony Ashley, who was actually our first Patreon patron. <laughs> he was the first one to sign up, and he's still been uh, supporting us for like four months. Five you the best! So we really appreciate that, and so we made this special episode of things that we commonly see in horror films, because we've talked about so many at this point. And, uh, I mean, thanks so much for coming out to talk about this, these ideas. <laughs> I hope everyone has a good night. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. I'm Justine. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you.